guys. Welcome to a brand new episode of NHBF Shines On. I'm Brooke Evans and just like you, I run my own salon. I wanted to have real conversations with the people that make the rest of the world feel beautiful. Deja Ayadeli is an award-winning esthetician with more than 15 years experience in the beauty industry. She's also an author, a business owner and a consultant who educates us about the importance of looking after our skin. Deja also champions diversity and her book Black Skin is the definitive skincare guide for black women. She's someone who genuinely wants to help people have a better relationship with their skins. And that's why today on the podcast, NHBF shines on Deja Ayadeli. So hi, Deja. Thank you so much for being part of this chat today with NHBF. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really good to put a name to a face. Um, So can you please tell the listeners who you are and what you do? I am DJ Adele. I am an aesthetician and I am the owner of Westroom Aesthetics in London, but I am also the founder of Black Skin Directory, which is an online platform, award-winning online platform <laughs> that connects people of colour to skincare experts and professionals. It's a sort of like a knowledge bank for anyone looking for information on darker skin. I'm also a writer and I'm the author of Black Skin, The Definitive Skincare Guide, which came out in November 2021. And I am a columnist for Glamour Magazine. And it feels like now I'm saying all of this, it feels like a lot. I am a columnist for Glamour Magazine, as well as I do a lot of advisory and consulting roles for the beauty and skincare industry in general. So you're not busy then? No, no. (laughs) I tend to twiddle my thumbs a lot. (laughs) So like taking it back a little bit, what sparked your interest in skincare? I do remember that from a very young age, just sort of going with my mum to the hairdressers, probably about age five, six, going to the hairdressers with her. And I always remember my mum just looking after her skin a lot with, you know, lots of lotions and potions. And I remember, you know, when she used to use oil of Yule, obviously now it's olive ole, but I remember all the stuff she used to use. And then that really sparked my interest in the sort of self-care element of, of beauty and skincare. I don't ever remember my mum being like overly done up or anything like that, but she always looked well put together. And, and I think for me, that's what it was because when she looked well put together she always seemed like much more amped up you know and and for me I had that there was a connection between grooming and confidence and I think that's what really drew me to the industry as well. And how did you get started in the industry like what was what was the first thing that you did? There was a lot of stop and start for me in the industry, actually, because when I finished school, I went to uni and I did a business degree at uni. But while I was there, I was always dipping in and out of different beauty courses. So I started off doing nails quite a lot. Nails and makeup are actually what I started off with. And even when I finished uni, I went into I went to work in the city and I was always still dipping in and out. So there was a lot of stop and start. It was like, are you doing this? Are you not doing this? Are you doing this? Are you not doing this? Oh, but you make more money in the city and that sort of thing. But that's how I started. I, I One of the key things I remember doing was becoming an OPI nail technician. And I, and I did all the OPI courses from natural nails, manicure to 
nail extensions and nail art. That was one of the first sort of things I did. And as well as I, I did, I remember doing a makeup course at London School of Makeup. And those were like my first things. And again, I, I was sort of freelancing and such. It wasn't actually until the recession kind of hit. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And clearly a recession tells us because I was made redundant. It's like no job is secure. So you might as well be the captain of your own ship and, and start your own your own career in something that you really like doing. When I think about it, it's a bit similar to probably the hairdressing industry. Once you've started in in the beauty industry, you, you look at what you can do and there mm. are so many different things and you almost start one thing and that triggers another thing yeah. and another thing and all of a sudden you've got so much under your belt, you're like, well, well what am I actually going to do? Yeah, <laughs> then you kind of figure out what the thing is that you like and, and for me, I realised that I liked I liked nails, but I didn't like it enough. I liked makeup, but I didn't like it enough. I also love skin and I've always loved skin. And that's how I ended up specializing in skin. And do you remember a point where you were like, you know, skin for me is where I'm going with this? Um, Do I remember a point where skin? I think it's, uh, <laughs> I went to New York to work at New York Fashion Week doing makeup. And I spent so much time talking to the models about their skin and barely did the makeup that I was being hired there to do. I went all that way and it was all about skin. And I think when I came back, that's when I actually even made the commitment that I would go and do my qualifications in skincare. So for me, that was the moment when I was in the middle of a makeup job, but all I could talk about was skin. And I remember the head makeup artist was like, saying to me, you're really interested in skin. How about you do that rather than waste my time? And and whilst it was quite kind of cutting to hear that, yeah. at the same time, I was like, yeah, you know, you got a point. <laughs> so, mm. um, and, and that was my kind of trigger. Yeah, almost that eureka moment. And it actually came from somebody else overhearing how passionate you were about something yeah. you didn't really know. Yeah, yeah. And, and they were actually telling me off. They were actually oh, saying really? to me, you've wasted a lot <gasps> of time. And that is not what you're here for. If you're so interested in skin, then why don't you just go and do skin? You know, it wasn't even a question of they were kind of being like, oh, you should do skin because you're so, you know, it was, it was more like, girl, you just wasted all our time. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, yeah, you got a point. Maybe I should. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, so in a funny way, I'm grateful. Yeah, I mean, like, absolutely. At the time, you were probably like, whoa, what's just happened? But it gave you a push in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. You wrote about skincare and beauty for some time before you started West Room Aesthetics. Mm. What led up to you starting your own business? I mean, I'd always in one way or the other, had Western Aesthetics, even though it wasn't called Western Aesthetics, because I had always worked out of, say, another clinic and rented a room. It only really became Western Aesthetics when I kind of put my name on the door. So I always knew that I would want to be the owner because I could have more control then. I would be able to indulge in my own passions of what I want my business to be like. So for me, it was always a done deal that I was going to work for myself. Is like once I left the city, it was like I'm, I'm not necessarily working for anybody else. I'm setting up my own business and I'm going to work at my own business. And I remember even when I was just newly qualified, I, I still ran my own, you know, I guess you'd call it moonlighting or side hustle to my normal clinic work or in a salon work. 
I mean, I'm sat here as a business owner thinking how helpful it would have been. I, I, and I'm I'm saying like my, my parents are business owners too, but it would have been so helpful to have, you know, the fact that you went and got a degree in business, to have that behind you and go in then setting your own business up must have been so helpful. Yeah, it was really helpful to have some of the basic sort of things like marketing knowledge, which I covered in my degree, because I find a lot of the work we do is about marketing as well. It was really helpful to have worked in the city because that really taught me about customer care and sort of really hard graft and working long hours and and being agile and thinking on your feet and being resourceful, being very solutions driven, you know, being sociable. I mean, I worked in an area in the city where there was always after work drinks, and that's where a lot of business was done. It wasn't necessarily done during the day. So working in the city has to have been one of the best things I did that, that that's kind of helped me with the business side of my business. Yeah. It's really interesting that you said that deals were done like not in business hours because I feel as a hairdresser, we spend so much time drinking. Well, not necessarily drinking, but... Socialising. Yeah. And there's so many business deals that you meet people and, you know, you, you get to know what they do. And you make agreements. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess that's what my, my daughter's always like. You're going out to lunch again and you call it work. <laughs> <laughs> Or you go, you said you go to a party and that's supposed to be work, is it? And I'm, and I'm like, babe, don't underestimate it. That's where a lot of it gets done. <laughs> she's so going to be doing that when she's older. She doesn't yeah. even know it yet. <laughs> yeah. She, I mean, she thinks I have the coolest job. Her friends think I have the coolest job because so it's like, oh, my mummy's gone to X to work, but she went in a in a nice car or um, she's doing this or she's on telly or whatever. And, and um, all her friends think, wow. And I would say, you know, you don't wake up in the beauty industry and you start doing stuff like that. It takes years and years and years to actually get to the point where you actually get those sorts of opportunities. So that's why I'm always super grateful for every single opportunity that comes my way, because it does take years of hard work in the background for those things to happen. What are the myths and common concerns that black women experience regarding skincare? The common concerns are a lot around access to skincare, actually access to people who are qualified in skin and looking after skin, but also have experience in looking after black skin, whether it be from a I've done this many treatments on on a darker skin or having some cultural awareness, perhaps, of some of the concerns that black women can can bring to the door. You know, some of the myths that you can you can find are things like around sunscreen, that darker skin doesn't need sunscreen, or using advanced treatments like things like chemical peels or even things like microneedling, that those are not suitable for darker skin because they'll burn and cause hyperpigmentation or microneedling will scar the skin because it's it's obviously got the needles. So you hear those sorts of myths a lot. The myth of using things like hydroquinone, which obviously in, in the UK is a medically prescribed product for the skin, but you can't use it because it bleaches out the skin when really and truly that's because of the misuse of hydroquinone rather than because it actually does that to the skin. It has a very valid place within skincare. And a lot of these myths, in my opinion, are fed by misinformation and that lack of access to, to knowledge, which can then improve the skincare experience of black women. And I mean, 
myths generally aren't based on the truth anyway, are they? That's the why they're a myth. But a lot of it is based on just misconceptions of, of what's possible nowadays in the beauty industry for black skin. And one of the other things that really sort of troubles me about attitudes to sunscreen, we have a very high multiracial population now, and it's our fastest growing population, multiracial population. And what can happen is sometimes if you are, say, mixed heritage, say black and perhaps white, you can inherit some of the propensity to sun damage from your white side of the family. But you might consider yourself as a multiracial individual, you might consider yourself black, right? So if you consider yourself black and and therefore you're like, I'm black, I don't need to wear sunscreen, but yet you've inherited your maybe Scottish granny's propensity for sunburn mm-hmm. without even realising it, then your risk of of having a burn or your risk of perhaps developing a melanoma is much higher than you actually think it is. Just because you think, that's the area of psychodermatology, just because you think you're black doesn't mean your skin cells respond in the same way. Yeah. You know, so you have to bear things like that in mind. And I find things like that so interesting. Mm -hmm. And which is why I'm always, you'll always find me talking about sunscreen, always, regardless of the time of year, I think is a very important aspect of skincare. You've also mentioned on other podcasts that you think there's a kind of black tax, I'm saying inverted commas, on black skincare. Can you explain what that means? So it's an emotional tax and it's a financial tax. So a a black woman will spend a lot longer looking for a skincare professional because they're looking for someone who they trust or someone who they can really feel has experience looking after darker skin. And there's a lot of anxiety involved in that. There's a lot of, when I compare my black clients to my white clients, black clients are always so much more anxious about the treatment. Oh, you you really sure? this is okay for me. When I suggest certain types of products, yeah, I think you should use this glycolic acid toner. You really sure? I've heard not good things about black glycolic acid. While as my white clients, they're like, yeah, sure, Deej, no problem. So there, you can always see this marked difference in this level of confidence that because the industry has always spoken to the white client, mm-hmm. black women are always coming up from the back end to to then get exposure to the industry, but it's always with a level of mistrust. And that, for me, is an an anxiety tax. But also within the beauty industry generally, products, say, for example, a foundation, uh, it's slightly changed now, but back in the day, a foundation would cost more for a black woman than it costs for a white woman. Because, say, whilst you could go into, say, um, your local high street shops to get a foundation, I would have to go to a department store, which would probably be charging a 10 or more, yeah, right? Because I'll be getting a more designer foundation, not because I'm necessarily trying to be posh or designer led, but because that's the only thing that's available to me because the lower end of the market isn't supplying foundation shades that covers black skin. So again, that becomes a financial tax. You might sometimes go go into a clinic space where certain types of treatments, maybe because of the risk applied to them, say, for example, maybe you, you might be prone to keto scarring, could end up costing you a little bit more. Or you could just get told blanket, no, we don't do that treatment on darker skin. You know, so there's a level of tax and, and legwork that comes in in just even trying to find that clinic and being settled in yourself that that clinic, they know what they're doing there and you're going to be safe in their hands. And that costs time and money, right? Looking for a clinic costs time and money. And then there's also sometimes the fact that even when it just comes to your cosmetic skincare, i.e. your makeup and whatever, that can sometimes cost you unfairly a little bit more because you're maybe having to go into a more specialist setting to get that mm. than you would if you looked at your other white counterparts. I mean, 
listening to you there saying this, it, it, it's crazy to think like, obviously, I was very aware that there was more limited tones and skin colours mm. um, in foundations. But to hear you say about skincare has completely blown my mind because I just didn't know that there would have been a problem with regardless of your skin type going to somebody for a skincare routine. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Because there are there are places, like I say, a, lot, a little bit less now. There's definitely more awareness. But, you know, there are places. And when we did the original research for Black Skin Directory, what would now be four and a half years ago, there was a lot of, I went to this ex clinic and they said they don't do black skin. It was simple as that. We don't do black skin here. Wow. And for me, a lot of that is rooted in fear and fear of getting things wrong. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you feared getting something wrong, you would learn how to do it right. You would then make the effort to learn how to do it right, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And, and that all that did was exclude black women from professional treatments and services. Well, I know that I've been in department stores and stuff and it's getting there. But, you know, it shouldn't even be a conversation that we're having even to this day that mm -hmm. it's getting there. It should just be equal and end of story, isn't it? So yeah. keep pushing. Definitely. <laughs> it's all I'll say. Definitely. When did you decide to write Black Skin? It was a good few years ago. There was many reasons why, but one of the reasons was I wanted to take away some of this legwork, some of this, can I have laser? Can I use glycolic acid? I wanted to take away some of that legwork for black women. And that was, I felt that that was my, going to be one of my biggest contributions I could ever make to people who look like me is to provide this, this book, my, all my knowledge downloaded into one place. I also wanted to provide something for the industry in terms of my fellow therapists who were thinking, oh, I can't do black skin for some reason. It's like say, actually, yes, you can. This is the information. So there were a lot of what I call stakeholders in my decision to want to write a book. I also wanted something for my daughter, something that she could look at and be and know that she was perfectly safe and the whole skincare industry and world was available to her. And I think to have a book out there ready available for any person to read, I think is encouraging. Yeah. I would read it. Do you know what I mean? And I think, you know, if I was a therapist, I would read that and I would feel more confident in approaching a situation that I would possibly feel uncomfortable with. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful because not only are you changing for white women doing skincare, but you are creating a book for all, all types of people. And I think that's powerful. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and I get messages from all over the world because the book is now out worldwide. Some of the best messages I get about my book are from actually therapists themselves, skin therapists, who will say things like, I'm so much more confident. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just so much more confident. I just have a little bit more knowledge, a bit more awareness. That's some of the best messages I get because that's how we help change the industry from the inside out. That's how we help reduce the legwork and anxiety for black women consumers coming through the door. If we as therapists, whether we're black, white, pink or blue, no matter what color we, we happen to be, if we are more knowledgeable mm -hmm. and sometimes being knowledgeable doesn't mean you actually even do that particular treatment. It's just knowledgeable enough to know something about it, but to say, do you know what? I can send you somewhere where I know they do that. It's even just that there's lots of treatments I don't do, but do I know other people who can do those treatments? Yes, I do. You know, I guess it's one of the benefits of networking in the industry a lot. It's I know something or somebody for anything you've got. Anything you show me, I'm like, ah, yeah, I know someone. <laughs> I know, I, I have a contact that, that, that's me. I'm like, 
a connector. One of the, the best messages I get are actually really from therapists who just tell me how much more empowered they feel. Mm-hmm. And those are the messages that sometimes, you know, we all have sort of down days at work. Like sometimes it's just, you know, busy, overwhelming. But then you open your phone and you look on Instagram and you get a message from a therapist. I got one two days ago from someone in Canada. And I was like, whoa, oh. okay, it was worth it then. So what can beauty salons be doing to ensure they are meeting the skincare needs of their black clients and ensuring that they're educated enough? We need to look at the qualifications that our therapists are coming into the industry with and checking that those qualifications are broad enough and and comprehensive enough to have covered all types of skin and skin colours and heritages. Is that a word, heritages? But I'm going to make it up, right? So I think that that's what we, we we need to be doing as, as clinic owners and salon owners is checking that our therapists who are going to be working for us and representing our businesses are fully qualified. If not, we then do need to take the proactive approach of ensuring we, we provide that qualification or that experience and exposure to our therapists. Whether that involves putting them on courses like the BSD Skin of Colour course, which is aimed at your level two to four therapists. That's an option, whether it be ensuring that we provide the relevant educational tools and educational books for our therapists as well. That's something we can do. I think as an industry, we need to demand that the qualifications being provided meet the standards of the world we live in today. Well, I can totally agree with that as someone mm-hmm. who's also battling for that in our industry because I don't know about you but there's a lot seems to be a lot of people that come into this industry with very little knowledge very little qualifications and expect like you say those little people that come in and they're like oh where did you come from Mm -hmm. Uh, we we gain a lot from social media social media portrays people to be incredible when actually you go back and you look at their qualifications and they haven't got the substance behind them and I think it's so important especially when we are dealing with people we're in an industry where we're face to face and you could really do so much damage to someone's skin to somebody's hair to somebody's feelings like how they feel about themselves it's important that they get these qualifications behind them and really push for education really yeah, I mean, for me, education is the grassroots, is the, is the very start of it. And I, sometimes I say to therapists, you need to go back and ask for your money because you only got three quarters of what you should have walked out with. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm in a position where I'm hiring people onto my team, I can see that it, it's not just even the practical kind of skin of colour information that's missing from a lot of the curriculum. Sometimes it's even things like social skills and, and how to do a consultation, how to talk to someone. Because... For me, I'm like, you cannot know something and that's fine. How you relay that information of you not knowing is a completely different kettle of fish. Absolutely. And that indicates to me like things like social skills or being able to talk to a client. Because I can say to you, let's say, for example, I don't know how to do laser. Let's just say that's something I don't know how to do. But instead of me saying to you, oh, we don't do laser on black skin. I could say to you, we're not experts in doing laser on black skin. However, I do know of a clinic, XYZ clinic, that is much more experienced in looking after darker skins with laser. Can you see the difference there? Absolutely. I've met therapists who will just be be like, nah, don't have to do that. Well, they didn't do that on black skin. And I'm like, even just social skills. So aside from your practical kind of why is black skin black information or what sort of laser or, or how you should prep a, a darker skin for a chemical peel, apart from that kind of basic information, just being able to talk to people and having those sorts of social skills is something that I find that a lot of therapists, especially the younger ones, are missing at the moment because yeah. those are not things that are taught as part of the course curriculums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. Really great. 
I mean, we are coming to the end of this incredible podcast. And I've got one last question to ask as Mm -hmm. a very busy businesswoman who has a book full of skills, you know, written a book. Where do you see yourself in five years time? Wow. I mean, I tend to only think two to three years in advance, but in five years time, I definitely would have loved to have expanded the West Room team. I'm not one to say I want to have multiple locations. I don't at all, but I want to have a slightly bigger flagship location. And I definitely want to be focused on ensuring that both West Room and Black Skin Directory are very much about, just like my book, serving the skincare needs, um, the educational needs of Black women, absolutely, but also acting as a, a centre of skincare education on darker skin, but for the wider industry as well, for everybody else as well. That's definitely something I want to focus on. I'm very much focused on community, whether that be my professional community of therapists and professionals, hairdressers and all that, whether that be that professional community or the actual consumer skin of colour community, I'm very focused on nurturing those two things because I think that skincare is skincare, but I'm very interested in like you know, the confidence that we build, the mental health aspect of skincare, even the mental health aspect of a therapist learning more information to be able to look after a wider pool of people. I want to be able to provide that community engagement as well so that other women can feel more confident in themselves as well and and have that skincare link too. So we are coming to the end of the podcast and usually, you know, with the other people, we've been doing quick fire questions where you just answer these questions with a few lines. So what is your morning routine? I'm up at around about five. I have a stretch whilst I'm still in bed and then I go straight for a coffee downstairs because the house is lovely and quiet and I can have some time to myself. What's a rumour that you've heard about yourself that's not true? Oh, you know, I've never heard any rumours about myself and I wouldn't listen to stuff like that anyway, but I actually haven't ever heard a rumour about myself. What are you proudest of? From a career point of view, I am most proud of my book, Black Skin, but from just a more personal point of view, I am most proud of myself for putting myself through therapy. What's your hidden talent? I am a qualified and actually a very good nail technician. I used to use it a lot, actually, but just two weeks ago, my sister-in-law turned up at my house with nail polish bottles and asked me to paint her nails. And and it was absolutely fine. What is your biggest beauty mistake you've ever made? Maybe going to sleep with my makeup on. I'm really excited to hear what you've got to say, if I've got any top tips that I can pinch from you. What does your skincare routine look like? My skincare routine is very straightforward. I focus on a few key areas, light exfoliation, pigmentation, and retinoid use and sunscreen. So it can be any manner of product, but those are the four areas that I focus on. It's also to a certain extent, not very exciting because skincare or good skincare or good skin health is all about consistency. So it's about using the same type of product, same level of products all the time. And that is how you achieve results. You don't actually achieve results by jumping from product to product, brand's brand. That doesn't actually get you good skin health. So in many ways, it's it's boring, but it's what works. 
What advice would you give your younger self? That it is okay to not know. You don't have to pretend that you know everything. It is okay to be a learner and it is actually okay to admit that to other people as well because that is actually how you get to learn. That's it for today's episode of NHBF Shines On. And that's it for the season. Thanks for joining us for the show. Personally, I've loved talking to all of our amazing guests and I hope you've enjoyed listening. I also want to give a big thanks to the NHBF for helping to make this happen. If you're a business owner in the hair and beauty industry, make sure you head over to nhbf.co.uk to get in touch and find out how they can support you. Until next time.